us live our lives in the first day when we should be living our lives in the second day? And if you don't know what I mean, if you're like, what is he talking about? Stick with me. Uh, We'll get there. We're starting a new series this morning in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes called Being Present. We're just going to dig in over the next few weeks to this book in the Bible that really doesn't belong, it feels like. I'm curious, how many of you uh, growing up did a what doesn't belong worksheet? Like maybe like kindergarten or something, I don't know. They typically look like something like this, and there's like a line of things, and there's like four things, three of the things belong together, and then one doesn't. So like uh, what I want you to do is uh, turn to the person next to you, or if you're online in the chat, uh, I want you to look at line two and tell your neighbor what doesn't belong in that line. What doesn't belong? Very tough here. This is very, very tough. You came here to church this morning. You did not know you were going to have to think so hard. What, what does not belong on the second line? Can I hear? I heard from like seven people. What doesn't belong? The hat. The hat does not belong with the line of insects, right? And that's kind of how Ecclesiastes is like within the Bible. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is like the hat of the Bible, right? Because there's in this story of God's like love and redemption and then like boom, all of a sudden there's this book called Ecclesiastes which is like saying things like everything is meaningless and nothing makes sense. It's kind of a crazy book. I, I did uh, talk to somebody outside. His name's Logan. He's in here. And he was like, dude, I'm so pumped. Ecclesiastes is like one of my favorite books. And uh, I have never heard anyone say that really, except for maybe me. I love Ecclesiastes. But it doesn't seem to belong. And even more specifically, it's in a part of the Bible called wisdom literature. And so in the wisdom literature, there's all this great advice being given and like uh, profound answers being communicated. And then in the smack dab in the middle of that is a book called Ecclesiastes, which is just like asking a bunch of questions and like ripping everything apart, it feels like. It just doesn't seem to belong. And so you're like, well, why are we in it then? (laughs) Why are we in Ecclesiastes? Why is it in the Bible? What are we doing? And I think it's a really powerful book because what Ecclesiastes does is it asks the reader to stop time and reflect on the purpose and meaning of life. And the truth is that for many of us, for better or for worse, we have been forced really to ask ourselves many of those type of questions, to stop and reflect on the purpose and meaning of our life, to ask questions like, why is this happening? What is going on? And what happens when we engage with a book like Ecclesiastes is we are in a situation what feels like completely out of our hands, completely out of our control, and Ecclesiastes comes in to our hands and our hearts and our minds, and we find solidarity. We find companionship. We find that we are not alone because in God's word, our feelings are being, words are being put to it. And so I want to dig in. I think that's the value of Ecclesiastes for us for the next few weeks. And I want to dig in by looking at the first four verses of the book because it really like provides like a, a good summary. It's kind of like the gist of the whole thing. But before we do that, uh, th- the next like 10 minutes, we're on a journey, okay? And that journey, the next 10 minutes, it might feel a little dark at times, okay? I just want to warn you. And if it starts to feel like that, if you're like, oh, this is heavy, this is dark, What I want you to do is I want you to look at my shoes because I wore the brightest shoes 
that I could possibly wear for you this morning just to provide some light. So if it gets dark, just hone in on the shoes, and I promise we'll get to some light at the end of the tunnel here this morning as we dig into Ecclesiastes. So turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And while you do that, I'm going to give you uh, sort of the back of the book description of Ecclesiastes, right? So if if it was like a book being sold at Barnes & Noble, if those are around anymore, I'm not sure. Uh, You turn it over, it's a picture of the author. Here's the back of the book description you'd find, ready? Bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, time keeps going, and everything in our life seems totally out of control. Interested yet? (laughs) Somebody said, yeah. Amidst all of this confusion, the book of Ecclesiastes makes one thing clear. One is to live life with the full awareness that it is fleeting and ungraspable and to be present and enjoy. Eating, drinking, enjoying nice things, being with loved ones. And you'll find that as we start to read, which we're going to do here, there's two characters. There's the author who kind of sets everything up in the first verse. And then there's what's called the teacher is how the the Bible refers to him or the preacher maybe. And this uh, name, the name given to this guy is uh, typically uh, koaleth, which is just the Hebrew word for teacher or preacher. And this guy, he is crazy, okay? Like, Torin likes to say this dude is like cray-cray, right? Like, this dude is savage. Like, he sounds like depressed or crazy or whatever. Like, I say he sounds like a postmodern, like existential, like nihilist writer. Like, all that to say, dude is glass half empty or maybe just like glass empty. And the only glass that matters is him. Like, he, he just, he's, he's rough around the edges, you might say, okay? So that's, that's the teacher. And he's giving the whole, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is him. Like, his teaching on life. Like, what he believes about reality and our world. So the gist of the whole thing can be found in the first four verses, which we're going to read right now. It says here, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Did you guys hear that second verse? I'll read it for you again. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Can I get an amen? Welcome to church this morning. Amen, right? No, meaningless, meaningless. Now, some of you who grew up in church, you read a different version of the Bible. You may have heard this word is vanity instead. So it's vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. And this word, meaningless, vanity, it's the Hebrew word, hevel. Everyone say hevel. Yes, lots of gusto this morning. I like it. Hevel. Now, this word hevel appears over and over and over again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. If you counted it up, it's actually 38 times. Ecclesiastes is a short book. 38 times the word hevel appears. Like the teacher is just obsessed with this word hevel. Everything is hevel to this guy, and he won't shut up about it. (laughs) Okay, and what we find is when we look at the book as a whole, we find that the word hevel is kind of used as a metaphor to communicate two things about life. The teacher believes two things about life or reality, and he uses the word hevel as a metaphor to communicate those. So the two things that he's using this word to communicate, uh, the first thing that the teacher's doing is he's, he's basically by using the word hevel saying that everything is like fleeting. Everything's temporary. It feels like ungraspable. So the, the English translation of the word hevel, of course, is meaningless or, or vanity. But as is often the case, translating a Hebrew word from like thousands of years ago into an English language is tough, to say the least. And it doesn't, that doesn't always capture like the, 
the essence of what the writer is trying to say. So the best way to understand Hevel is probably more like saying it's like vapor, which just wouldn't work like in a sentence, but Hevel is like vapor. It's like breath. Like it's, it's there and then it's gone, right? So the, the teacher's saying everything in life is like, it's like Hevel. Like you chase after something and, and, you, and you think that that is what is going to give you meaning in life and you think you've got it, you squeeze it and then boom. It's gone. It's like vapor. It's Hevel, right? Or you, you, pour, you pour all of your efforts to become like the most rich or successful or best person ever, and you think you've got it, you squeeze it real tight, and then boom, all of a sudden something happens and it's gone because it's like vapor. It's Hevel. Nothing seems to last. Everything is temporary. Uh, in 2017, uh, there was a guy by the name of Andrew Tolles. Andrew Tolles uh, was the starting outfielder for the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, if you are not a sports person, the LA Dodgers are one of the richest sports team uh, in all sports, and uh, they're baseball. Outfielder equals baseball, okay? So uh, Andrew Tolles was the popular starting outfielder for the LA Dodgers, and he kind of captured the public's eye by this Cinderella story, really, of making it onto this MLB roster, starting outfielder for the Dodgers in 2017. Now, just this, not actually, I don't know if it was this week or last week, uh, but his story kind of caught everyone's attention just really for the sad nature of it all. Andrew Tolles, who less than two years ago was the starting outfielder for the LA Dodgers, was found sleeping behind behind a building at the Key West International Airport. And when he was found, he was arrested, uh, and he was asked uh, to give his address to provide his, uh, where he resides, his residence. And, And when asked to give that, he uh, gave his residence as the streets of Key West. Two years ago, he's the starting outfielder for the L.A. Dodgers, playing in the MLB, making an MLB salary. And today, the streets of Key West are his home. Everything is temporary. Nothing seems to last. Everything is hevel. That's the first thing. The second thing that the, the, and look at my shoes, people. Look at my shoes, all right? If, if you're like, oh, no, this is, look at my shoes, all right? Second thing that the teacher is trying to communicate by this word hevel is that nothing makes sense. Like, life seems like a paradox. Like, good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Any sense of, like, order or control or system, while it maybe seems like it's there for a while, then something happens and it's all, like, gone away. It vanishes. It's like vapor. It's hevel. Right, So like you, you order your life around a certain uh, idea or system of beliefs and you're like, yeah, this is what my life is going to be about. And then and it seems all great. You squeeze it real tight and then all of a sudden something happens and boom, it's gone. It's like vapor. It's hevel. Right? And uh, some of you may have had a, a silly experience of, of this uh, as a kid. Like you, you had something that you thought was like set in stone and then you realized it wasn't set in stone and you were like, oh, no, everything's Hevel. Not really. You probably weren't like, everything's Hevel. You're like, what is happening? My world is crashing down. So uh, when I was a kid, uh, my parents, they never let us uh, have the interior lights on in the car while we were driving, right, At, uh, when it was dark. Now, obviously, you wouldn't need the lights on when it's not dark. That would be silly. So when, it was dri- when we're driving in the dark, couldn't have the lights on. Now, this would really stink when you're a little kid and you're, like, on a long road trip and it's dark out and you're like, dang it, I just... I finished all my Cheez-Its, and there's one little Cheez-It in the corner, but I can't really see it, and I need light. And your parents are like, no, 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 no. 
and you're like, I need that cheese it, mom, I'm going to starve, right? Or, or it really stinks when like you have toys you want to play with, but you can't because it's dark and you can't have any lights on and your toys don't glow in the dark because you don't have it like that, okay? You need, you need lights for the toys that don't glow in the dark and your parents are like, no, 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 you can't have the light on in the car. Or you even try to use the excuse, mom, I need to do like some homework, I need to read. Nope, couldn't even do that. No lights on in the car. The reason was, my dad really struggles to drive with lights on in the car, which I get. I'm 25 now. I drive. They let you drive when you're 25. And when the, lights are, when the lights are on in the car and it's dark, it's hard to see. But we would complain. We complain. We beg to turn the lights on to the point that my dad, my mom, they got so tired of us asking that they told us when I was a little kid that it was illegal to drive with the lights on in the car while it was dark. Now, what they meant was, it's hard for my dad to drive with the lights on in the car when it's dark, right? But what came out of their mouth was it's illegal to drive with the lights on in the car. So I grew up my whole life thinking you can't have lights on when it's dark and you're driving in the car. And I think I was in high school, but maybe I was in college. I was driving with a friend. We're, uh, he was driving. I was in the, I forget how I was in the back of the front. It was dark. And uh, you, something, we lost something there. He's like, hey, man, can you flip the lights on real quick? You would have thought he was asking me to sell drugs. I was like, dude, I cannot do that. That is illegal. (laughs) I'm offended that you would ask me to turn the lights on in the car, right? Needless to say, my world came crashing down because everything's heavy. Like nothing makes sense. Life is a paradox. Everything's temporary. It's fleeting. It's ungraspable. It's like vapor. It's heavy. And there, there's, it's a tension here, right? Because as I'm saying this, you guys are like, yes, that's true. It feels true. But also it feels sad. And I need to look at Austin's shoes while he's saying it. it. It can be both. It can be sad and it can be true. And lucky for us, Ecclesiastes doesn't just like stop there, okay? Ecclesiastes provides for us a response. Like amidst all this confusion, amidst all this heaviness, Ecclesiastes offers a response. One is to live life with full awareness that it is fleeting, it's ungraspable, it's a paradox, it's hevel, and to also to be present and to enjoy. Eating, drinking, uh, enjoying nice things, being with loved ones. You see, the book of Ecclesiastes is full. It's caked with expressions for enjoyment. Check it out. In, verse, uh, in chapter 22, verse 24, Ecclesiastes says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their work. Chapter 3, verse 12 says, there is nothing better for people to be happy and do good while they live. Chapter 7, verse 14 says, when times are good, be happy. Chapter 9, verses 7 to 9 says, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife or your husband, who you love all the days of this meaningless life. He had to throw that in there, right? This meaningless life. The teacher, he, I told you, he's savage. But all these, all these expressions, all the ones I just read, they're all expressions that simply mean enjoy. Enjoy life. And the point here is not to ignore the bad. The point is not to ignore the bad, it's just to acknowledge the bad exists. Like it's there, it's inevitable. And we need to just enjoy, we need to enjoy the good. And what we learn when we dig into Ecclesiastes, all of a sudden enjoyment of this life, of the the blessings and the gifts that we have, isn't an ideal to pursue, but it's a responsibility that we have to God who has given us gift after gift after gift. 
And what happens as we do this, we start to adopt a posture of total trust in God, which allows us to freely and simply enjoy life as we actually experience it. Not as it ought to be, not as we want it to be, not as we planned it to be, but as it actually is a gift from God. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time, like seriously all time, like top five, no doubt, okay, Uh, is a movie called About Time. Anybody seen About Time? Somebody jumped out of their seat. Yeah, okay. Raise your hand with pride. You've seen, uh, if you've seen About Time, just give a clap for how good you think it is. Did you guys hear those claps? Did you hear those claps? Like, go watch this movie. Okay, it's amazing. It's about time. It's about this uh, guy, this ginger guy. He falls in love with her. And uh, also, though, to make things interesting, he can travel back in time. Okay? So his family, they've had this ability to travel back in time, the men in the family, uh, Somebody should have told them, the future's female, it's 2020, you're like, what the heck, only the men, but whatever. The guy, he can travel back in time only to moments in his life, though. So he can't travel back to like, I don't know, you know, whatever, and change whatever. It has to be in his life. And what happens is he falls in love with this woman, they have some beautiful children, and it complicates things because what he learns is when he goes back in time, when he changes something, everything else changes after that. And so he's trying to be careful. He's trying to figure out the best way to use this. And luckily for him, his dad and all the family members before that, they've all been able to travel back in time. They've kept it a secret, but they've also kind of figured out like the best way to use it. And in my favorite scene, uh, the main character, he asks his dad for some advice. Like, dad, how do I use this time travel ability that I have the best way? And his dad gives him uh, some advice on how to use this time travel ability. He tells his son to live every day twice. He tells him to live every day, live it once and all its, all its stuff, and then go back in time and live it all over again. He says directly in the movie, a quote, this is him, the dad telling the son, he says to live every day again. Almost exactly the same. The first time with all the tensions and the worries that stop us from noticing how sweet the world can be. But the second time, noticing. And so the scene shows the main character living in the first day. And it's full of all the rush and the confusion and the anxiety that fills many of our days. He's quick with people. He's uh, short from one place to the next. And uh, he doesn't have the energy to enjoy like the beauty that's all around him. And then after the first day, he recounts his dad's advice again. Again, I'll read it. To live every day again, almost exactly the same. The first time with all the tensions and the worries that stop us from noticing how sweet the world can be. But the second time, noticing. You see, I'm convinced that many of us, myself included, we live our lives provisionally. We're waiting for the day or way that we will start to live. Like we think we have to be this or do this or see this until we really start to live. We think we have to get to the next phase. And then we get to the next phase and we're like, well, I got to get to the next phase. I got to do this. I got to be that before I really start to live. And in the midst of all this waiting, we find ourselves confused and confounded just by the harsh realities of life in our world. Like it's, it's heavy. And Ecclesiastes comes into that moment and says, yes, everything, everything is heavy. The world is harsh and gives us some advice to stop waiting to live, to be present, and to enjoy, to stop living in the first day with all the rush, confusion, anxiety, and to start living in the second day with presence and enjoyment. And this call, this advice from Ecclesiastes to to enjoy, it's not a call to like escape. 
It's not a call to like disengage. It's not a call to like hedonism and just like live life for pleasure. It's not a call to just like give up and die. Ecclesiastes advice to be present and to enjoy is a call to live. It's a call to live in the second day rather than the first. It's a call to to be aware of the fact that what you are doing now or saying now or hearing or going through, it may be the last event or experience of your life. So live, be present and enjoy. Yes, things are hard. Yes, things are tough. But yes, things are sweet. And yes, things are beautiful. And enjoy. But that's not all even. We're like, dang, this thing keeps going. Yeah, it does. That's not all. Because Jesus changes. That's when you're supposed to say everything. So I'll try again. Jesus changes everything. We say that all the time around here. Jesus changes everything, right? So when the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes shows us the reality of life and the the harshness and the toughness and this heaviness, what we find is a a little bit further in the book, we, we meet this guy named Jesus and Jesus shows us what the true reality of kingdom life looks like. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be truly and fully human in the kingdom of God. And what we find is that there's three things that Ecclesiastes like points out about the harsh reality of life, right? The first thing is this, this heaviness. And we'll get to the next two in the coming weeks. In Torum, we'll wear just as bright shoes, I promise, okay? And what we find is that Jesus, with, as he brings the kingdom of God into our lives, the kingdom of God does away with all three of these things. Spoiler alert. So everything's hevel, right? It's temporary, it's fleeting, it's ungraspable, nothing makes sense. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God brings about a justice and a peace that he calls shalom, in which all things will be made clear, in which all sad things will become untrue. No more hevel. But there's a tension here, of course. There's a tension here in Ecclesiastes. It has to do with this phrase, under the sun. Everyone say, under the sun. Under the sun, it's this phrase that appears over and over again, almost as much as the word hevel in Ecclesiastes, and it's used just to describe life here on earth. When, when the author, when the teacher, sorry, says life or under the sun, he really just means like life here on earth. And this, this phrase appears over and over again because the teacher is confused. You see, the teacher is confused because everything under the sun is meaningless, but we desire meaning. Everything under the sun dies, but we want eternity. Everything under the sun is out of control, but we want order. Everything under the sun is hevel, but we want shalom. And Ecclesiastes is clear. We have desires as humans that will not be met under the sun. You see, according to the teacher in Ecclesiastes, there is no eternity under the sun. There is no meaning under the sun. There is no shalom, no peace, no justice under the sun. It can only be found, according to the teacher, beyond the sun. What we know to be the kingdom of God. And this is why reading Ecclesiastes in light of Jesus is so important. This is why Jesus changes everything. Because Jesus brings heaven to earth. In Jesus, the transcendent and the imminent meet. Jesus brings beyond the sun to under the sun. All of a sudden, enjoying a meal, enjoying a nice day, and taking, having time with friends takes on another level of meaning and significance. It's not vanity, it's not meaningless, it's not hevel, because with Jesus, the kingdom of God is all around us. With Jesus, we can experience 
beyond the sun, under the sun. With Jesus, we can experience the kingdom of God here on earth. We can experience shalom in the midst of heaven. We can experience order and justice in the midst of chaos. Jesus brings beyond the sun to under the sun. But the truth is, the truth is that despite our best efforts, Jesus, we're living life with Jesus. We feel the kingdom of God all around us. But then every now and again, despite our best efforts, the world feels like heaven. <laughs> Completely out of our control, temporary, fleeting, and ungraspable. And this is where Ecclesiastes' advice to be present and enjoy can be so, so valuable. Uh, I'm a really unique person, and quarantine was really hard for me. Uh, I'm not unique, right? Quarantine was hard for everyone, I thought. Raise your hand if quarantine was hard. Okay, all right, cool, cool, cool. Right. I mean, maybe I'm still unique, but not because, uh, not because quarantine was hard. But I think quarantine was a little bit harder for me than other people because I'm like a really strong-willed person. I don't like limitations. So when I was being told I couldn't go out to eat with friends or I couldn't go to a movie, I just couldn't do like what I wanted to do, that was really, and I had to stay at home, that was really hard for me. I'm an eight on the Enneagram, which means I like to just like take control and like lead stuff and take care of stuff. So I wanted to like punch this virus in the teeth and like get it done with, right? Like I was like, let's get it done with. It'll take a month. We'll do what we got to do and we'll get back. But things just kept going on and on and on and they're still going on, right? And, and the stay-at-home order kept getting pushed back further and further and further. And what I found myself doing, what I found myself living in was this first day mentality. I was living life in the first day. I was so full of rush, confusion, and anxiety. I was short with people on Zoom and with the one person I could see, my wife, Olivia. And I was quick from one place to the next, like my bed to the couch, right? I was, I was just in a rush even, sitting in my own home. I was in a rush, and I had no energy. I had no desire to see the beauty that, and sweetness that was around me. I was living in the first day, like a character from about time. And I was in school, I'm in, I'm in seminary, so um, I'm forced to read uh, this stuff about Ecclesiastes. I'm starting to engage with this stuff during all of this. And I, I found so much comfort in like God, in, in God's word, God acknowledging like the harshness of life. Like during all of what was happening and even now, it, feel, it felt like heaven. I was like, yes, yes, my world feels like that, God. Thank you for acknowledging that. But I also took its advice to enjoy really seriously, to be present and to enjoy. And I found myself not much longer uh, after that just having a meal with uh, outside, I think maybe with some friends, like socially distanced, but maybe it was just Olivia and I, and just like enjoying the moment, like just soaking it in. It's temporariness and it's like uncomfortableness, but also like it's beauty and it's sweetness. And I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it not as an opportunity, but as a responsibility to God. As a responsibility to God who, is, who had given me gift after gift after gift like the breath in my lungs that I didn't even earn or deserve, but God gave. Now that scene from about time, it doesn't actually end just with him living the first day and then repeating that, uh, the dad's advice. That would be kind of a terrible way to end a scene. I just had to hold off till the end uh, to tell you guys how it really ends because how it really ends is the son lives the first day, right? And he repeats the dad's advice and then it goes on to show him living 
the second day. Living a day completely over again for a second time. And what we see as we watch the movie is all of a sudden he's attentive to people that are around him. He's not in a rush. He's, he's able to move from one place to the next and, and have the energy to recognize the, the beauty and the sweetness that's all around him. You see, the first day was full of confusion and rush and anxiety, but the second day, the second day was full of presence and beauty and enjoyment. You see, because when you live a day all over again, when you travel back in time just to live a day all over again, you kind of have a responsibility to enjoy it. And friends, that's what Jesus gives us. That's what the kingdom of God gives us is a second day. A responsibility to enjoy, an ethic of enjoyment. Because when we adopt a posture of total trust in God, it allows us to freely and simply enjoy life as we actually experience it. Not as it ought to be, not as we want it to be, not as we planned it to be, but as it is. In all its toughness, and all its hardness, but also in all its beauty and all its sweetness. It's a gift from God meant to be enjoyed. As Christians, we believe that. That we have a responsibility and ethic of sorts to enjoy. And I want that. I want that for me. I want that for each of you. I want that for our church. And so we're going we're gonna to really lean into this each week with a little bit of like an application or like an invitation or homework of sorts, if you want to call it that. Although it's like the easiest homework anyone's ever had, okay? To enjoy. Each week we're going to have something that we're inviting our church to enjoy together. Not like all together, but separately together, right? Okay. Uh, so this week, what I want each of us to do is to enjoy a sunny day. Think you can handle that? Yeah, and we haven't had a shortness of those either, right, in the, in the last week or two. Enjoy a sunny day. The idea here of this application to enjoy is each week we're reminding ourselves that we don't control whatever, whatever it is. We don't control that. Like, we don't control the sun, right? Like, none of you control the sun, I don't think. If you do, come talk to me, because, like, where you been at in February, okay? Like... <laughs> Okay, but we don't control the sun, right? But we control our responsibility. We control our ability to enjoy the sun. And so each week we're going to step into this and, and be reminded by simply enjoying something, this week being a sunny day. So what I want you to do is I want you to this week, one time, you can do it multiple times, but at least once, I want you to go outside and enjoy the sun. Whether it's hanging out outside, just having a meal with friends, whether it's going on a walk, going on a run, going on a bike ride, going to the beach, whatever it is outside, if it's laying out and just like letting the sun burn you, whatever it is, I want you to enjoy the sun. And just to like acknowledge like your presence and your enjoyment in, in front of God, I have a prayer that I want us to each pray. Pray just once this week or multiple times. I'm going to try and pray anytime I just like remember the sun this week. I'm going to try and pray this prayer. It's super short. It's like two sentences. You can write it in your phone, take a picture of it, write it on your hand if you're old school. Uh, whatever you got to do, it's this prayer. Ready? Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful sunshine. It's light and warmth remind me of your love. And today, I enjoy it. It's a simple prayer. But what this prayer will allow us to do is just be reminded that we are present. We're fully present, aware to the moment, and we are enjoying this moment. Wherever we're at, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the gift that God has given us in the sun. Sound good? Friends, I love each of you. I love that I get to call this church home, and I love that I get to worship in person with 
all of you. And all of you online too. I love, you know, we love the online stuff too. But. All right. Uh, so what I would like to do is I would like uh, to pray to close us out. And then uh, after I pray, I'll dismiss you guys. We kind of do it slowly, uh, you know, be respectful of everyone. And we do have, stop by the Connect Hub, and we, or Guest Hub, and we do have Connect 30. So uh, you can head straight into there for Connect 30. But first, I would like to pray. Will you pray with me? God, I just want to take some time this morning uh, to provide some space, just like 10 seconds of silence, and allow everyone in this room to just think of the things that they are thankful for. Think of the things that are a gift and a blessing that you have given them today. God, we thank you for those things. We thank you for those gifts, those blessings. Help us enjoy them. Help us be present. Help us enjoy. Thank you for your son Jesus and, and his kingdom that is coming to earth, that is here, that is all around us, that can be experienced. And thank you for your word that acknowledges that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there's heaven all around us, it feels like. And even in those moments, you, you give us your love, you give us your advice to just be present, be in the moment, and enjoy it's not an opportunity that we have. It's a responsibility to you, God, that we have to enjoy what you have given us. So help us as a church enjoy. And it's in your name that we pray. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.